As a practitioner of meditation for over 30 years, I've come across quite a few different meditative practices and techniques. Often they are based on philosophical foundations such as Buddhism, Hinduism, shamanism, or mindfulness. After many years of practice, the thought occurred to me that much of what I experienced as the result of meditation involved one form of sublimation or another. When I say sublimation I'm referring to a psychological process. In essence, sublimation is taking the raw stuff of the subconscious and attempting, either successfully or unsuccessfully, to take those urges, desires, yearnings, chaotic visions and so on, and channel them toward another end, sometimes even taking negative impulses and using them as a kind of fuel to create something more socially acceptable. According to the essay, Religion, the Forbidden, and Sublimation. Sublimation is a process whereby forbidden thoughts and emotions are channeled into productive and often creative ends. In other words, the forbidden is altered into something positive and, ultimately, creative on some level, perhaps, as I'll get into later, even meditative practice. The father of modern psychoanalysis, Sigmund Freud, when initially defining sublimation from a psychological perspective, saw it as a defense mechanism and way to avoid confronting the subconscious directly. According to Kendra Cherry, even though Freud saw sublimation in a somewhat negative light, he also considered it a positive response to the subconscious mind. Freud considered sublimation a sign of maturity that allows people to behave in civilized and acceptable ways. This process can lead people to pursue activities that are better for their health or engage in behaviors that are positive, productive, and creative. But what does this have to do with meditation? Let's explore this a little. Some well-known meditative practitioners actually find benefit in sublimation. Swami Krishnananda said this when reflecting on the spiritual life as experienced through the process of sublimation. The point is that nothing is destroyed and nothing is lost. Everything is to be fulfilled, finally, by way of sublimation in an appropriate manner. One of the meditative practices I've had a lot of experience with derives itself from Buddhism, specifically Tibetan Buddhism. Tibetan Buddhism, while at its core based on the Buddhist philosophy of emptiness, or non-self, often involves complex visualization practices that require imagining yourself as a deity. A successful practitioner may eventually find themselves imaginatively transformed into the deity during meditative practice. Often, deities are envisioned as male and female, conjoined in sexual union. Indeed, it could be said that the forbidden is sublimated, particularly for a celibate Buddhist monk. From a philosophical perspective, this kind of visualization exercise represents the union of wisdom and compassion, the feminine and masculine aspects of knowledge, and when done skillfully some Buddhist practitioners believe this can lead to comprehending some very profound truths that are quite distinct from the sexual visualization itself, sublimated or otherwise. According to Kathmandu University's Heidi Koppel, through visualization, we directly experience the Buddha's teaching that the world is beyond the restrictions of space and time. That said, 
Some Buddhist philosophers directly describe other approaches to Buddhist practice as being the result of sublimation. According to Dr. Yutang Lin, the basis of such a realization consists of the six sublimations or perfections in Tibetan Buddhism, generosity, meditation, patience, energy, ethics, and wisdom. He uses the term sublimation to capture the essence of the utility of the process, to transform the limited self into what he terms limitless oneness, the state of enlightenment experienced by the Buddha that cannot be expressed in any conceptual framework and that is the natural result of realizing the six perfections. But what of more mortal humans who do not experience such things? In my experience, the subconscious can display itself in rather chaotic ways, and become such a powerful presence as to literally demand one's attention lest one be overwhelmed. Thinking back to my autistic younger brother, whose behavior was chaos in action, I can't help but believe that when the subconscious takes over completely it leaves you helpless in its wake. Therefore, it makes sense to want to understand the subconscious and find ways to deal with it creatively and productively as we seek not only spiritual enlightenment but also mental health and well-being. As a writer and artist, I've often confronted the subconscious by sublimating it into something creative, an essay, a play, a film. This allows the artist to take what can sometimes be negative emotions and create cathartic realities that transform suffering into awareness of the beautiful. Seen in this light, even the most negative emotions can be the ground from which creativity springs. According to Roberta Zatow in Psychology Today, the artist Cezanne used his anger in just this way. The portrait of Cezanne's father is the best example of the portraits as sublimated rage. Louis-Auguste Cézanne, Cézanne's father, a banker, wanted his son to be a lawyer and never approved of his art, although he financially supported it. Cézanne's father is portrayed sitting in an oversized armchair against a dark background. He is reading a newspaper, he hated and there is a painting by the son on the wall behind his father's chair. The painting combines the son's wish for the father he never had and his anger at his actual father. Because sublimation through art and other creative outlets will often leave the underlying feelings unresolved, some people turn to meditation as a means to find their way out of the trap of negative aspects of the subconscious that can stay with them once their creative process ends. The results can be a mixed bag, as meditation may, at least initially, actually exacerbate negative feelings by making us more aware of them. To counter this possibility in the past, Creatives have historically turned to religion and spirituality itself as the subject of their art. For Tibetans, Thangka paintings are one such example. More recently, some Tibetan artists have moved beyond traditional Thangka painting to incorporate modern themes and techniques. But most modern artists, and anyone else dealing with the negative impacts of an untamed subconscious in a secular society, do not have such a refuge and turn to other means to grapple with their spiritual and mental health. Sometimes this may involve turning to Buddhist psychology and the secular techniques used by mindfulness teachers such as Tara Brack and Jack Cornfield that move beyond sublimation and into working directly with the subconscious as they attempt to recognize and allow the subconscious to be more skillfully assimilated into their lives. 
To cornfield, sublimation, like suppression of emotions, is at the end of the day something that can be a dangerous thing. Suppression is dangerous if you don't work it out later, and sublimation is dangerous also or can be because it can be an avoidance. According to Cornfield, mindfulness practice can free us from any problems that may arise from suppression or sublimation and eventually come to a place of meditative stillness. The whole process of working with these states of mind and these energies is to finally learn to come to rest, to open to this moment, one after another, as it is, and find a kind of stillness that allows for all the coming and going of the 10,000 joys and the 10,000 sorrows, and it brings an ease and humanness and compassion. What I've noticed is that this comprehension of stillness does not rely on visualization as much as acceptance of things as they are. There is nothing to move toward or become, i.e., the deity, in order to find the reality of unlimited awareness because the stuff of daily life can essentially do the same thing. In other words, we begin to move beyond sublimation. This is not to downplay or degrade the power of visualization or sublimation, but rather has us understand that from a practical perspective most people find themselves still grappling with their, often negative, emotions despite their sublimated or imagined attempts to transcend them. This begs the question, what can I do about it? The answer may be to understand that both our art and our perfected deities, even our notions of God him or herself, are, in reality, a sublimation of our desire to forever transcend that which should instead be accepted as it is. For reality cannot be permanently transcended through either spirituality or art, it will always remain simply what it is, whether for ill or good. Outside of our conceptual frameworks of what it is, reality, or God, if you like, remains a silent and ever-changing mystery that beckons us to simply let go and embrace it in its myriad and often contradictory forms.